What an amazing morning is, isn't it? We're just thanking God. What an amazing time of worship. Um, so good. All right, so just a brief thought this morning. Um, this morning, uh, I was, have you ever like come to, you wake up and you feel heavy? Like, like you're wondering like, whoa, you're checking what you ate last night and like, okay, what's going on here? Um, and I began to realize, I said, okay, I know why this is happening. So I began thinking and, um, this, this, think of this verse with me. This is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19 says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is an amazing verse because the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. And the Apostle Paul himself is writing from prison, like giving thanks. And he's telling the church, give thanks for all things. And you can think that their mind are thinking about him. Our Apostle is in prison and he's writing to us to give thanks always for all things. And I was thinking this morning, like, like I love Thanksgiving, and this is the reason why, no, it's not because of the food. I know that's what you're thinking. No. There's another reason why I love Thanksgiving. 33 years ago, I was an unbeliever, my first year of college, visiting my sister up in Brooklyn, New York. And I met the body of Christ. And 33 years ago, on the Sunday after Thanksgiving, I got saved. And I was, I realized why I was getting the projections this morning. Because the devil and my flesh and the world doesn't want me to think about what God has done in my life. And that's why we give thanks to God always. And I was thinking about this. Colossians chapter one verse 13 says he's translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. That's why we give thanks. We were soul winning yesterday. And um, I called Pastor Barry and I left a voicemail because it was amazing. We were up here on uh, Frankfurt and Bel Air. And this young man got out of a car and he went into the um, Boost mobile store. And I'm looking at him like, I know this face. I know this face. And I'm trying to think. So he comes out and I says, do you have a twin? He's like, yeah. I said, did they used to call you twin? He's like, yeah. I said, like, do you remember Barry? He's like, bar, yeah, I know bar. And it was like, like his face just lit up chick web. And I was thinking, yes, it was amazing, you know, and he's older, but the face hasn't, and I was thinking, we give thanks. And like, I started thinking about all that God has done from being unsaved to being saved, to being in the body, to being called, to be going on outreach, to share the gospel. It's amazing. And the devil doesn't want us to think about the things that God has done. You know, there's an amazing booklet that Pastor Stevens wrote. Uh, I think it was back in the late 70s or 80s. It's called The Doctrine of Complaining. It's a booklet where there's like five different faces, five 
like it's so easy for us to complain because of our flesh. But thanks be to God, always in everything. Why? Because we have an eternal purpose. You know, Pastor Peace here this morning, an amazing Kobe Wistera is rejoicing in the presence of God, thanking God. You know, it's like we, as the children of God, it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter if things are going well, if things are upside down, if you burnt the turkey, if the mashed potatoes didn't come out right, if the, you know, the kids are like, what is this? Is this stuffing or is this, what is this? We still can give thanks to God. Because we have something, as Pastor says, that the world can't give and the world can't take away. We have Christ. And he has transformed our lives and he's given us a calling. And when we are in church and when we're outside, we are thanking God, singing to him. Whether you can sing in key or out of key, we still sing to God. Because of what he's done. This is amazing you know, and just in my meditation this morning, I said, uh-uh, no way, devil. You're not going to get me to be occupied because I know what my Lord has done for me. And not just for me, but for all the body of Christ. So this morning, when we sing, I will wait for you on your word. I will rely. I will not rely on my emotions I will not rely on my past. I will not rely on my bank account. I will not rely what's in my pocket or not in my pocket. On your word, I will rely. Because your promises are yes and amen to the glory of God. And I love this. Remember when Pastor Gary came up? And we are so grateful. We can say for every person in the body of Christ, God, thank you. Because we are members in particular, we are members one of another. God has done this. He's knitted us in the body. You know, and the opportunities we have to go soul winning, you know, just that, that young man. And he like maybe he realized like, wow, I don't know what his day was going like. But all of a sudden he thought of Barry Quirk. And maybe for a moment he realized what God has done for him. It was a quick transaction. He came on. He says, yeah. I walked over to him, gave him a hug. He got in his car and he drove off. And I was like, thank you, God. Like 33 years ago, I would not have been occupied with anyone else but myself. And that's all of our testimony. We were lost. But thanks be to God. We are no longer lost. We have an eternal purpose. And this is amazing. So, you know, that's just that thought. And as we think, um, we're going to take the offering um, right now and just thanking God. Um, you know, thanking God. Like we said, whether there is money in your pocket or not, it does not determine your eternal destiny. Finances do not internal, uh, determine your eternal destiny. Problems at home or not problems at home does not determine your eternal destiny. Whether your kids love you or your kids don't love you does not determine your eternal destiny. One thing determines our eternal destiny. It is the blood of Christ on the mercy seat that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. And we can give this morning. Why?
Because God has given us joy, joy down in our heart. Where? Down in our hearts. He has done this. And so, Lord, thank you this morning for the privilege just to thank you. For all eternity, we will worship you. Because you did something that no one else could do. You gave us eternal life. You shed your blood. You were the perfect sacrifice, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. And because of that, and because you've redeemed us, we can give freely from a heart that's not condemned, that's not confused, but a heart that's rejoicing and thankful. Bless this offering for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so this is Faith Promise Sunday. I think Pastor Gary's going to be in the foyer. Is that right, Pastor Gary? Okay, so that's great. Thank you. And uh, these are these are great little clips on on faith and what it means to people that are out on the mission field. And imagine what we do as a church. It's such a blessing to see it. How much is given and how many people are helped and what a great thing that is. Yeah. Uh, so, Lord, we thank you for this assembly and the giving and the faith. And bless your work worldwide in Turkey, in the Far East, in Singapore in India, in Africa, 300 churches affiliated with us and our family, our particular group that you have fitly framed us together. And thank you for each heart here. There's so many hearts of faith. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. Well, okay, so turn with me to an interesting text in the book of um, Judges. We're going to look at Hebrews 8, but before we do that, we have a little homework to do, okay, on the heart, the heart of man. So the heart of man, what a subject that is. So I just pray that the Lord would lead lead me in this. And Pastor Eugene was so that was so sweet to hear from him. And thirty three years ago, what happened in his life, and um, how how what a man of God you are! You really are. What a man you are! A man of God, you really are. And I like the part where he said he wakes up and it, there was darkness and gloom in the bedroom. Something like that, right? Yeah, heaviness and darkness. I had one of those too. I went to bed early. I went to bed like at 9 o'clock, which is very unusual for me. But I woke up at 2, so if I do that, then I'm wide awake. So I studied for a couple hours and then go back to sleep for a little bit and then get up. But at two in the morning, it was a darkness and gloom. 
misery and wickedness, and the edge of hell was right at my bed bedside. Then I looked over to my left, and the angel, my wife, was there. Yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, what? Yeah, she pulled me back from the edge. Okay. Um, the heart, the heart of man. So this is Jeremiah 17. And if you've been in the ministry, the Bible teaching, evangelical teaching of the Bible, this is a, a verse that we need to know. It's 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, there are people, the natural man doesn't think his heart is that bad. You know that? You know that's how people think, right? Let's see if I can find the quotation I have here. This is from Jonathan Edwards. Natural men do not generally conceive themselves to be so bad. They have not this notion of themselves that they are enemies of God. We, we need to look at that verse for a moment, so, because it's part of our point here. It's in Romans 5 and verse, um, where are we? Romans 5. I usually don't ask the church to help me out here, but in this case, well, verse 10, yes, okay, thank you, verse 10. Romans 5.10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Now, this word is, is an important word in our theology that we are enemies of God. It, it's, the natural men do not think like that. They don't think they're an enemy of God. They are quite good, and they look, like, look at life like that. Like, I am in control. I, I have a good way of living. I am civil. I am not an enemy of God. But actually, we are. And to, to prove that point is very challenging as a, as a minister of, of the Word. So I'm going to just touch on it for a few minutes, and I want you to follow this with me. So Romans 5.10, now I'll go back to the paragraph. Natural men do not generally conce- conceive themselves to be so bad. They have not this notion of themselves that they are enemies to God. And therefore, when they hear such doctrine as this taught them, they stand ready to make objections. Some may be ready to say, I do not know. I am not, I am not sensible that I hate God and have a mortal enmity against him. I feel no such thing in myself. And if I have such enmity, why do I not feel it? If I am a mortal's enemy, why should not I know it better than anybody else? How can others see 
what is in my heart better than I myself. If I hate one of my fellow creatures, I can feel it inwardly working. So that's how we are. Like, I don't feel any hatred to God. I don't think I am an enemy of God. It's, it's how I feel. If I hated somebody, I would feel it. If I hated God, I would also feel it. But no, this is, this is a very good point. And so I just bring it up because it's kind of on my mind, and I just want to make a couple points about it. In Jeremiah 17.9, it says, The heart is deceitful. So we have here, the message is going to get better. So this is the bad part, okay? The heart is is deceitful. So I put, as you know, I put a hole in it. And I mean, it's all together. It's all together. You cannot trust it. It's It's changes. So this text I want you to look at is in Judges. And um, uh, I'm sorry, wait a minute. Second uh, Kings 8. There was a man, Haziel, Hazael, in verse 9, Second Kings um, 8. 9 through to 15 is the text. We won't read it all, but I want to draw your attention to this story. This man was a, was a servant up in the north in Assyria. And Elijah met him, and he said, um, he was sent to, for, as an ambassador from the king. And Elijah said unto him, Go say unto him, Verse 10, you may certainly recover. Howbeit, the Lord has showed me that he shall surely die. So you have two things. He will recover, but then he will die. The king was sick, and he wanted to know would he be healed. So he sent a messenger to Elijah, and Elijah said, he will recover, but he will die. Let me, let me t- tell you what happened. He, he had a disease. He recovered, but he was assassinated. He died, but he recovered from the disease, but he was assassinated by this man, Hazael. Hazael did it. And Elisha saw something as a prophet. He saw something in the heart of Hazael. He saw and he understood what would happen. Watch, it's verse um, 11, he settled his countenance steadfastly until he was ashamed, and the man of God wept. So there's Hazael and Elijah, and Elijah is seeing something, and then Elijah starts to weep, because he sees something that's going to happen. Verse 12, and Hazael said, why weepeth my Lord? And he answered, because I know the evil that you will do unto the children of Israel. Their strongholds will you set on fire. The young man wilt thou slay with the sword. Young men wilt thou slay with the sword. And will dash their children and rip up their women with child. 
And Hazael said, But what? Is thy servant a dog that he should do this great thing? This is the problem with the heart of man. He doesn't know what will happen when he has opportunity. He doesn't know what he will do if he was the king, because this man becomes king. Because he assassinates the king, and he makes himself king, and then he becomes this evil tyrant. But he always was that. He just didn't have the opportunity. And he's like maybe even not believing that he would become like that. He didn't believe that he would become like that. He didn't know because you don't know what money will do to you. You don't know what success will do to us or what failure will do to us or what bad news will do to us. How our hearts change and our hearts are very deceitful. Temptations. I saw a short video of billionaires with yachts in the Mediterranean. And the, the, the storyline basically is that when you have so much money and you have so much power and influence, you can do anything you want to. And on their boats, that, that's what they do. They do whatever because they're beyond the law. They're, they're, they're operating in a certain world. It's like I think of it as a vortex of, of influence and spirits and the hearts of men. And they can be drawn into that. You say, no, I would never do that. I would, that would never happen. But you don't know your heart. That's Jeremiah seventeen nine. The heart is deceitful. It says further, who can know it? Who can know the heart? And what's your answer to that when I ask you, who can know your heart? God. But do you know it yourself? Look at the story. In Hezael, why weepest thou? And Elijah said, because I know what you're going to do. Verse 13 Hezael said, But what is your servant a dog that he should do this thing? Elijah answered, The Lord has showed me you will be king over Syria. So he departed from Elijah, came to his master, who said to him, So he went back home, and said to the king, What did Elijah say? And he just gave a short, short answer. He told me that you would recover. That was good news to the king, right? And then what did he do? It came to pass that he took a thick cloth, dipped it in water, spread it on his face, so that he died. And Haziel reigned in his stead. He became the king. And then what did he do? He did that to Israel. He attacked, he murdered, he, he went at it. He had the power he had the opportunity. Before becoming king, he didn't have that power. But becoming, having that power showed what was already in his heart. These are the hearts that we have as Christians. I want to make that point as Christians because it's part of the message. 
So I have a heart like this that's wicked and desperate, and uh, desperately wicked, and who can know it? So let's draw that picture smaller here, like this. And um, it is that way. That's our heart. Why do I know this? Because Romans 7 teaches it. It's very, you know, check my heart. You know, I'm sure Pastor Eugene, before he comes to the service this morning, that he goes before God in his heart. And, and that's what we do. And I'm sure many of you, when you come to church, you say, before God, Lord, minister to me. I don't feel so good, but minister to me. Give me grace. Minister to me. Help me. Fill me with your spirit. Teach me. If there's anything in me, you can show me. By the way, in the Lord's Prayer, or the Disciples' Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, doesn't he say there, lead me not into temptation? A translation for that, and the biblical um, text for that is Proverbs 30. And it's this verse. Seven, two things have I desired of thee, required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. What a good word that is. Please, Lord, remove from me vanity and lies. Now, this heart is prone, desiring, wanting, relates to vanity and lies. It's a wicked heart. It's a deceitful heart. But that wickedness isn't, isn't seen on the outside because we're very good at, at projecting. We can project, I'm good at it, you're good at it. We can project something that isn't there inside. I project because we're actors. We're actors. We're, we're, uh, we are people that can do that. You, you know it, you know it well that you could be speaking to somebody but not trust them. You could be with your teenager and realize that maybe you don't know what's really going on in their heart. Or as someone you love, or a friend, or a church, or a pastor. Yes, this is the kind of world we live in. So the prayer is, Lord, deliver me from vanity and lies. Now, there's a very interesting in Judges 19, another unusual text. It's about a man who has an idol, and he loves the idol. He loves the idol. He wants the idol. This is the heart of man. He loves idolatry more than God. It's Isaiah 44, 20. There's a lie in his right hand, and he doesn't know it. Like, I have a falsehood, but I don't realize it. I, I, I have something, but I don't realize what it really is. You know, you can have a snake, a viper, in your house, 
and you may not know it. And even it could be there. And um, as long as it's sleeping, as long as you don't disturb it, it might not express itself. And so man's heart is like that. It's like, you know, I don't have any... Yeah, because the poison hasn't been, you know, there hasn't been any bite. There hasn't been any need. There hasn't been an opportunity. There hasn't been the adultery or the lying or the deceit. There hasn't been the situation. There hasn't been the opportunity to steal and get away with it. But if that opportunity was there, what would I do? Well, it's my heart that decides what my life is. So if I go on like this for another 30 minutes, we're going to crawl out of this church this morning. It's like, oh no, oh no. But I want to make the, want to get there because I have good news for us. And that news is amazing what God has done for us. So, one other sub point. Do you remember when Jesus saw the children in the marketplace and they were playing a game? They were doing like a funeral. You know how children can act out. My kids used to act, play church when they were like three, four years old. They would play church and Amy would be the preacher. They would, and then Bethany would take the offering and they would have their stuffed animals in the pew and like and so children play games they imagine so jesus saw children in the marketplace and they were playing a funeral but they changed it up they did a wedding a wedding music they played wedding music at the funeral as like irony or joking and then they did a wedding, and they played funeral music. And Jesus said, that's what this generation is like. Like, they don't get it. They don't understand the weight and the gravity of the hour. They don't know that I am here. They don't get it. They don't know it. And by the way, that happens in our society. Like, we're, we're we killing babies, and then we're celebrating it by lighting up the buildings in New York City or something. We get it backwards. There's adultery and pain, and then there's a celebration about it in Hollywood or something like that. You, you see poverty, and then there's some rock concert. There's not the reality. There isn't the heart. There's not the understanding that Jesus is being crucified and people are like, people are like mocking him. They are like in their hearts, they're happy this is over. And then his disciples are running in fear and weeping. And we are looking at it and saying the world is wrong. The heart of man is wrong. The heart is deceitful. You don't know when that viper will bite, but it will. Or when that billionaire would murder somebody to protect himself. 
or violates something where you don't how do we know this is the this is the world that God came into God came into this world and it's a dangerous one because of the hearts of men and we did it to him yeah so that's it that's it on the that's the story of and I don't want to um, really understand I want you to see here that we have this problem with ourselves and then we have the new heart and the new covenant and this is uh, in the book of Hebrews I I want to um, draw your attention to a couple things there and then we will conclude so turn to Hebrews let's say 2 it's uh, chapters 2 chapter 2 verses 1 to 4 is a warning there's like five warnings in the book of Hebrews and I want you to see here just Therefore, we ought to give, verse 1, the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. So, we are born again. We have a new heart. We've been given a new heart. Now, the follow-up question, especially looking at my diagram, could I also operate with this heart? Yes. That's what I. That's what I'm implied by saying, Pastor Eugene, praying, praying in the ministry, that our hearts would be, would be our new heart, that the Lord would check our heart, the Lord would lead us in our hearts, that our hearts would be full, we would be awake, we would be, we would be understanding, we would be learning, we would be before God, available. All, all of us, this is our new, new life. The new life we have is one where we love God. We were enemies, but now we are availing ourselves to hear. But the warning here is to take heed or be aware of the fact that I could let it slip away. I could, the, the doctrine, the truth, the new life is ours, but I must be exercised in it. I'm exercised in that new life. And if I'm not exercised in it, then it could slip away. And the, the meaning of slipping away is just the same, like in English, my, my wedding ring slipped off my finger one day and I didn't know it. My wedding ring was gone. My wife asked me, where's, the, where's your wedding ring? I go, oh, oh it's gone. Where did it? I don't know. We lost I lost it somewhere. Um, a, a, a boat can slip out of the harbor. You know, it just is gone. I, I missed something. I wasn't paying attention. It just kind of slipped away. Something was gone. The, this message requires me to hear it with my new heart. And with a new heart, there's life in it. 
Because God is the God of, of life. He's a living God. Yeah, there's life in God, and God is in you and your new heart. So we, we say that, that prayer. There were two prayers. We didn't get to the second one. One was the lying vanities. This goes back to this one. Lying. There were two prayers. One was the lying vanity, and then the second one was the one, my point. Don't make me so poor that I would steal my neighbor's bread. Don't me so, make me so rich that I would forget you. Now think of the heart in both of the, in, if I would, I'm very poor, I'm very hungry, would I steal my neighbor's bread? Yes, I could do that for sure. I'm hungry, I'm starving. But I don't want to do it because, because that's not your heart for me to be a thief. That's not your heart. So don't put me in that temptation. Don't make me so poor. Don't make my circumstances that way. And then don't make me so rich that I would feel the power of my self-choosing uh, and my own desires and do whatever I want to. Don't, like, don't, in, in other words, the Lord said, and deliver, lead me not into temptation. And I would say many of us have been blessed by not having either of those, the poverty nor the wealth, and that that's good for us in our hearts. But there's a higher answer, and that is the new birth, because the new birth gives you a new heart. So if you are very wealthy, you can manage your appetites and be humble and control yourself. Because this control comes from God, who is not tempted. Neither does he tempt anyone. He does not tempt people. He is light, and in him is no darkness. He is life and no death. He is the way, and he's not confused about it. He is free, and he's really free, deeply free, from the appetites of our sin nature which is in our in our hearts our deceitful hearts okay um, go to chapter 2 Hebrews 2 and it says here um, we need to give the more earnest heed meaning really pay attention to the things which we have heard Like when you hear something, when you hear about Christ, when you get a hold of it, when it gets a hold of you, you don't want to let it slip away. Because you're born again and you have that uh, capacity. The second warning is in chapter 3, and this is for our verse 7 and this is for our understanding here chapter 3 verse 7 wherefore as the Holy Spirit says today if you will hear his voice the 
the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you'll hear his voice, this is a very profound. It's in the wilderness in Psalm 95 when the Jews were in a lot of practical, logistical trouble and in their hearts they are departing from God. The Jews, the people in the wilderness coming out of Egypt, they are in the wilderness and in their hearts they're struggling with what is this? We don't have the food, we don't have the water, we, we are in a desert. What is this? God brought us out, and look at what we have. So this is a very good picture for us. It's a, Life is about, it's our heart. And we have a new heart. And today, today, meaning in the trial, right now, if you will hear his voice, what will he say to us? He'll say, don't get angry with me. Do not harden your heart. You, we are, you are an enemy of mine. If I leave you to yourself, you're an enemy of mine. You don't know me. You don't know my ways. You're an enemy. You will hate, you hate me. You hate me. By the way, another reason why people say my heart isn't that bad is because it's kind of like this. If, you, if a natural man hates somebody, let's say the, the natural man, he just hates somebody that lives in another city, okay? He hates him because he's an enemy and he hates him. And then he hears, and he's, he, he hears his name and he gets upset about him and that. He hates him. And then he hears that he died. Now what am I going to do? I go, oh, oh, good, he's dead. Then emotionally I get more relaxed, and I don't care about it anymore. He's dead. My enemy died. He's dead. And I don't have the... It's the same with God. An atheist says, so he hates God, but then he says, God is dead. Oh, okay. God's dead. That's done. I'm finished with... I don't have any, God is dead. I heard it on the news or in philosophy class. God is dead. I don't have any feelings about it. I don't care. He's dead. I don't. So then you say to him, you're an enemy of God. He goes, I'm not an enemy of God. He died. He's dead. Do you see that? I don't know if that means much to you. You might say, I don't really know what you're talking about. I don't care. I don't hate anybody. But I'm trying to tell you something. We have such a major problem in our lives that will never go away. And we fool ourselves. And then the man, the man that his enemy that died, he said, he's dead. Oh, it's great. Then two months later, somebody says, no, I made him. He's not, he's not dead. He's alive. He's more alive than ever. Yeah. Oh, I hate him. I hate him. It's like that with God and people. They are an enemy of God and they hate him. And if they ever heard he was alive, and that's why they hate you and I, by the way, or may hate you and I, because we remind them 
that God is here. And we say, God loves you. And they go, oh, yeah, don't talk to me about that. Yeah? Where is this coming from? It's the nature of man. Do you understand that? And that even as Christians, we have a capacity to harden our hearts. We have a capacity to get angry at God, angry at each other, angry at the church, angry about the Bible, angry about heaven, angry about hell. Angry, that, that's one thing that I do when I think about hell that does. I know that if the Lord tested me on that one, I would, I, and he does, but I have to say, Lord, I know that I am wrong. I am blind. I am arrogant. I know that what is in my heart isn't right. Please, harden. I don't want my heart to be hard. Remember when God put the pressure on Job, Job was handling it, but he was very much troubled. God says, this is God that was doing this to him. That hurt him. So what comes out of my heart when I'm hurt? That I want to know. When I am hurt in life, what comes out of my heart? Right? So here's some good news for us. It says here in chapter 3, verse 7, Today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. Do you know what they did? They said, you know, we need food. The Lord gave manna. They don't like it. They wanted flesh. He gave them flesh. They died eating the flesh. They, everything, everything, because the heart is this way, it's not enough, or it's the wrong thing, or I'm not satisfied, or who are you, and why did you bring us out to destroy us, and you gave us Moses, and he doesn't know what he's doing, and, and you are God, and what's going on? So this is the good, good um, expression of what is in our hearts. So, the third warning here, I'll just do one more, is in chapter 5, verse 11. And it's a warning to go on to maturity. Chapter 5, 11. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. We have many things to say about Jesus, but it's hard to say them if we are not hearing how can God talk to a proud group? How could God talk to me as I am stubbornly alone in my apartment, stubbornly angry, and I can't hear? I am dull of hearing or insensitive to the words. I can't hear it. I hear sounds, you know, like behind a, a wall. Like I know somebody's behind the wall talking, but I can't really hear what they say. It's the same 
with, with people that, that have a troubled heart. You could talk to them, but they can't hear you. They know you are talking, but they don't know what you're saying. That's in John chapter 8, actually. Jesus said, you hear me, my words, the sounds, but you don't know what I'm saying because my word has no place in you. Let's put, put it this way. The, the, the word here, this drawing, the, this wor- the word of God has no place in that heart. It can't find a place there. It's not there. But in you and I, it, we have a place where it goes together and we can hear. And we hear, and when you hear, you hear more. You get tuned in. You start to exercise yourself in, in it. It's written here, chapter 5, verse 12. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. So you have to go back and learn it again. By the way, I'm not against that idea. Well, let me get, go. You know, when I'm, when I'm going in the wrong direction, it's best to stop and go get it corrected and go in the right, right? It's simple. But pe- people think progress is just, just keep going because we got to make progress. But we're making progress in the wrong direction. It's like our culture today. They think every change is progress. Every change, change uh, the, the uh, sexuality thing, and just change it. And we're making progress as a society. Really? It looks like a disaster to me. Like, stop, get it right, and go in the right direction. That's like us. And we don't conform to the world. We have ears to hear what God says. And if he says homosexuality is sin, I take it, because at the heart of man, we have that capacity. Adultery is sin and evil and dangerous and hurts people. And I take that in my heart. Stealing and lying and cheating is that's of a deceitful heart. And they will explain it all the time because the heart of man is able to do that. And just say, we are changing. Our culture is changing and everything. Yeah, you know, change changes. It happens, but not every change is good. So we want to be changed from glory to glory. We would like to have a real change. So chapter 5, we'll finish here. It says, you could be, you need to go back and learn again the principles of the oracles of God. Don't, don't stay in what C.S. Lewis would call it Christianity and water. He calls it like a very simple like Christianity and water. And Dr. Stevens used to say, come on, let's grow. Let's learn. Let's study this. Let's learn the Word. We're adults. We're, We're people that can learn this book. Let's learn the doctrines. Let's embrace them and practice them. So this is what it is saying. It says that you are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. So the metaphor there is for a baby drinking milk. So you need to be a baby. You go back to the babyhood stage, 
and you're just eating milk. And by the way, your diapers have to be changed quite often. You need to be taken care of. You need to be carried. You need to be well, uh, breastfed again. You need to go back to that stage. And, and I would say, fine, if you can go further, then if that start in the right place and then carry on and keep going. And I always have said, if I'm at step 87 and I fall away, when I come back, I'm not at step one, I'm at step 88. I just carry on. I've learned something through my failure. I've learned something through my heart, what it is. I've learned something about faith and about grace. I've learned about God, the living God. It's amazing when somebody is alive to Christ. And I've seen it so much. I've seen people get so excited about the Bible, about coming to church, about a prayer meeting, about loving people. They are so excited about it. I've seen that happen, and um, and that's the, the road that we are, are going on. So it says here, they need the milk, but not strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. And a babe will, he will make excuses. A babe will not face the music. A babe will stay a babe. A babe will stay in that, in that immaturity. And he warns them. He goes, come on. Let's go on to maturity. Let's move on in our maturity. And this is the new heart. So here, here's the main point in the end of our, our message here. If this new heart has this capacity for maturity, and I can learn, learn to love and forgive, hate nobody. The, the guy in the other town now with my new heart, he was my enemy, but no, I, he's not my enemy. I pity him. I care about him. I want him to get help. I want, I want him to be saved. I want him to be forgiven. I want him to have a new life. So we don't have hatred. We have, a, we have love. And we have the good kind of hatred of Psalm 123, 139, which is another message. Okay, um, last one, verse 14. But strong me belongs to them that are of full age, even those who be by reason of use. Here it is. You have to use it. Have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. You have to, your new heart is exercised in what we hear. We are exercised in it and we know the Lord and love him and follow him and embrace him in some measure to how much we don't know. We cannot judge ourselves. But in some measure, with openness before God, we embrace it and we grow. And generally, in that growth, you know about it. You feel it in your heart. You kind of believe it. You might have a bad day or a bad morning or a bad time, but you are walking in faith, exercised in the faith, and hardening out your heart, Having your senses exercised, today if you hear his voice, hear his voice and harden not your heart. 
And um, then you will get through the wilderness period with a pure heart, trusting God. As two people did in the wilderness, Caleb and Joshua, they said, no, God is with us. I can see it. I can see it. I can see it. No, God is with us. God's not bad. God is good. And I can see it. I can see it. Caleb, are you ever hungry? Yeah, but there's a man. Uh, I got a I'm okay. How about your shoes? Aren't they wearing out? No, my shoes aren't wearing out at all. I, by the way, nobody's shoes are wearing out. God is with us. I can see it. I can see it because my heart. I can see God in it. I can see God in the trial. I can see God in the trouble. I can see God's doing good things for me. I don't have everything I want because I don't need all that stuff. You go find the people that have everything they want, they get in trouble because their hearts are wicked and deceitful. But God is good to us by giving us what we got. Let's be thankful for it. Okay? Amen. That was a long message. A good one. Yeah. Pastor Eugene, you want to close in the prayer? And the...